Hello friends. It is so good to be able to be together in this way. Before we dive into our new sermon series, which I'm eager to do, I want you to know that we thank God for you and we miss you. Thank you for showing up and being the body of Christ for the hundreds of ways that you are caring for one another, caring for each other and the community during this time. It's inspiring and moving. We are grateful for you and we miss you. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that connects us now. Would you allow us to be able to hear your story today, which connects in with our story. We give you permission to change, to transform us as you work in our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. About six or seven years ago, we were living in Philadelphia and Caleb was in seminary while we were there. And I was going to this theological convention. I walked around the exhibit hall and I was making way too long of a wish list of all the different books and commentaries that I was hoping to have when suddenly I spotted them. Something that would be a perfect gift for him. See. You know, it's helpful being married to a theology geek. He was in an early Christian church history class and we were talking about these amazing stories. And so it will be no surprise to you that when I saw this set, I just had to get it. Theological trading cards. Can you believe it? Now I collected sports cards as a kid, baseball cards in particular, and I loved collecting those and reading the stats and seeing the names and being able to keep track of the players. These though, Oh, wow, cards with the faces of, of different people in early church history, the reformers, the apostolic fathers and mothers, all the different parts of history. Look at John Wycliffe here. It has the dates of his birth and death and then the biographies and the significance of his story. Now, as Caleb saw this gift, it was perfect for him. He was excited about it and we got the chance to be able to share these stories even more. As we we're talking about this recently, we were thinking about this concept of this time being unprecedented. There are changes that are going on right now that none of us have faced. There are things that are happening that no one who's living right now has gone through. There's, there's national unrest and global unrest. There's fires and storms. There's a virus that is shaking our world. But this isn't unprecedented for the people of God. The church has weathered times like this before. And when you hold up the box and you start to see that each one of these people, each one of these stories shape our story today, each one of these stories, these people have gone through something, challenge and struggle, but they did it with Jesus Christ. This is the legacy of the body of Christ. This has occurred all throughout history. The people of God going through challenges in the name of Jesus. These are stories that shape our present. This is unprecedented for us, but not for the body of Christ. This new sermon series focuses on stories from early church history and early Adventist history and the scriptures that give us hope and courage and faith to adapt to this current challenge that we're living through. You see, the truth about Jesus went from disciples to apostolic men to the next generation who were trained by them. One of the great apologists, Irenaeus, 
learned from Polycarp, who learned from John, who learned from Jesus. We need to take a long view in dealing with the struggle and hardship of the time in which we live. We need to take a long view for the things that we go through in our lives. We can want it to go away right now, but you see, God is looking out over a broader span of history and we can trust the one who sees the end from the beginning. We can trust this one who has been working from the very foundation of the world. Through their story, these stories of individuals like the ones that I've seen on, on the theological training cards or the ones that you've known from the stories that you grew up with, we can see how the reign of God responded to all kinds of adversity. That's what we're focusing on during this series, Stories That Shape Us, and this will take us throughout the fall. These stories were passed from one generation to the next, and the story of how we live right now will be passed from our generation to the next. We can learn from these stories and find hope and courage for our lives today. So our story today, one of those early stories, Polycarp of Smyrna. He lived from 69 to 155. Jerome wrote that Polycarp was a disciple of John and that John was the one who ordained him. He was ordained as the presbyter of Smyrna. There's a letter called the Martyrdom of Polycarp that describes the death by burning that Polycarp faced. He was the bishop in Smyrna in Asia Minor and this letter was sent to the Christian church in Asia Minor from the church in Smyrna. Smyrna is now modern day Izmir in Turkey. You can actually go to the site Pastor Mike has and I have as well to be able to see where he lived. This letter is the oldest account of an early Christian martyr's death, aside from the account of the martyrdom of Stephen in the book of Acts. There's some debate as to the age of Polycarp, but he is recorded to have said on the day of his death, 80 and six years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. Do you hear those words? <laughs> Full of faith and firsthand experience with God. He was martyred because he was not willing to burn incense to the Roman emperor. In his life and his death, he came back to what mattered most. He said these words as he died. I bless you, Father, for judging me worthy of this hour, so that in the company of the martyrs, I may share the cup of Christ. Can you imagine coming to your death, coming to the time when there are flames? You see, the, the leaders had tried to convince him. They tried to persuade him to denounce Christ. They tried to get him to just do this very act. Why does it matter, Polycarp? Why would you do this? Why would you be willing to die? It's just words. It's just, but his allegiance was clear to Christ. And can, can you hear this faith in his words? I bless you for judging me worthy of this hour so that I may share the company of these martyrs and of Christ. As I thought about this man, I thought about his advanced age. And he was actually uh, the one who followed after the disciple who lived the longest, John the Beloved, who was the longest living disciple of Jesus. So here Polycarp is also advanced in years 
and facing this, this very challenge. Uh, you think about this, why he was willing to die. He refused to burn incense. That is to give honor and allegiance and glory to the Roman emperor. Now at that time, the, the government, they thought of themselves also as deity. They thought of themselves as worthy of worship, worthy of this honor and this respect. And Polycarp knew who he was and he knew who God was and he knew he could not bow or bend his knee to that power. We must not forget that Christ followers are in this world, but not of it. As you feel passionate about your own per political persuasions now as we move towards our own election in our country in November, we do not unite around hope for one side or the other. We know as Christians that there is no savior other than Jesus Christ. This is what unites us, church. That we know that the kingdom that we're a part of is not something that you stand and pledge allegiance for. This kingdom, this kingdom of God, something that goes beyond and, and above your allegiance to your country. So that's why we stand together as a united body of Seventh-day Adventists around the world, whatever nation we come from, we know that we are united in following after Christ, that, that we are united under the reign of the kingdom of God. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't vote or raise our voices for things that matter or have conviction. But it does mean that we do so with the awareness of how faulty and how frail human structures of authority are. I'm inspired by Polycarp's focus. Moved by who he knew God was and who he knew he was, he came back to this even as he faced his death. I think this knowing, coming back to what we know for sure, is what allows us to be willing to go through suffering. When you're facing uncertainty, it's important to come back to what you know. Remember what you know. Regroup around what you are convicted in your heart is true. Keep this in mind as we read this scripture today. It's a letter from the Apostle Paul to the younger man of faith that he is mentoring, Timothy. This younger brother of faith Paul speaks to him about his suffering. And it holds lessons for us today too. As some of you might have very external suffering, you might be facing uh, unemployment, you might be facing health challenge or, or crisis, or you might actually find yourself feeling despair and overwhelm for where we are in this world today. We are facing some incredible challenges. We have social and political unrest. We have unrest in the physical environment with the fires that are sweeping through. Perhaps you also have family that have been evacuated. Our hearts are heavy. We must come back to what we know, even as we face these sufferings. Let's go to this letter in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. We'll start there. It says, so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel. What a great appeal, right? 
If I were to just say, join with me in suffering for the gospel, that, that's so unlike the appeals we do today, but Paul was so convinced and convicted of what he knew, of the good news of Jesus, that he could say, it's worth the suffering. Join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done. This is not a, a works-based religion. We are not doing this because we are worthy, but by the power of God. Because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet, this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed and am convicted that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Thanks be to God for this word. This is a powerful testimony of the work of God in the life of Paul. Talk about a, a billboard we normally don't use, join me in suffering for the gospel, but you begin to understand as you read this letter that this good news has changed everything for Paul. This power, this light, this life has changed everything. Notice in verse nine, it tells us that God has both saved and called us. That goes for each and every one of us listening today, that God has saved you and has called you. If you want to respond to this salvation that Jesus has, has gifted to you, all you have to do is say yes. This gift is here. God's holding it out to you. You have been saved and you have been called. It's both. Now, some of you have experienced this at your baptism, that the laying on of hands, you have received this gift of salvation and calling, but if, in case you've forgotten or if you never have, you've been called, you've been saved. When times are hard, we have to come back to what we know. You are saved and you are called. Paul does this here with Timothy. He tells us who God is and reminds us of who we are. Who is God? Who are you? Two simple things I want to invite you to reflect on. Just write those down. Write that on your phone or grab a scrap piece of paper or the back of an envelope. Who is God? Who are you? Paul says you are saved and you are called. Salvation is the grace given to us by Jesus from the beginning of the world. Notice where Paul starts. Not when you were conceived by your parents or when you were born. But your origin story starts from the beginning of the world, friend. You were conceived in grace. You were brought forth in love. 
Your story begins in the very heart of God. Who is God? This God of love and grace that works in power in our world to reveal life and light, immortality by walking among us through the incarnate Jesus Christ. This is who our God is, Paul says. We see who God is in the life of Jesus. The power of the gospel, the good news of this saving power is what enables Paul to make it through all that he's going through. He can make it through suffering because of this power of God that is revealed in his life. The gospel is mentioned three times in just this short section, these verses that I just read. This good news takes hold of him and propels him into what he's able to experience by the gift of God. The key for how we weather challenge is by holding on to the truth of who God is and who we are. This is who God is. You are saved. You are saved by the grace of God from the very beginning of the world. Your story is not whatever your birth and origin story is with your parents or, or, or even with the mistakes you made later on. That's not the core of your story. You were begun in the heart of the Creator. Your story begins in the heart of God. Paul says, you were saved and you were also called. This idea of calling is this idea of vocation, a holy life work, Paul says. So who are you? You're called to a holy life work. I'm not preaching to a group of pastors today. It's actually in the scriptures, it's not about that. There isn't this idea of this being about clergy. There are no spiritual professions. There are teachers and engineers and mechanics and restaurant owners and nannies and auditors and stay-at-home parents and attorneys, and all are called. All. What is the work that God has wired you to do in the world? What is the work God's wired you to do? Who are you? What does it look like to show up as you whom God created? What does it look like, your work in the world? The Quakers have a saying, let your life speak. John Mark Comer suggests that perhaps instead of asking kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? We should instead, instead say, what do you think God made you to do when you grow up? What we do should grow out of who we are. And who we are flows from who we've been designed to be. So kids of all ages, young and old, what do you think God made you to do when you grew up? Three words in verse 10 are of special importance in these pastoral letters. It's repeated three times. It's this word translated revealed, uh, fenero. Paul uses it to refer to the first and second coming of Jesus. It's the coming of Jesus that shapes our calling. You see, Jesus came and it's that coming that calls us, our very lives, to this calling. So what are you wired to do? Who are you? Paul in verse 12 says that his suffering is no cause for shame. 
Perhaps this is a little different for us than it was for the apostles and the early church fathers and mothers, so I want to unpack this for a moment. The NIV application commentary points out that shame in the Middle Eastern culture was a powerful deterrent to righteous action. There was this social aspect to honor and shame in the Middle East, in the Near East, that still exists in some cultures today, though it's not very uh, broad or prominent here in North America. It can hinder action, this honor-shame society, both the personal embarrassment from publicly sharing a testimony, as well as the hindrance of disapproving of something that you're asked to do. It is significant that Paul uses this word shame four times in this short letter in 2 Timothy. This is not a very long letter, and, and yet he talks about this, this don't be ashamed wording. For some of us, this, the disapproval of others is worse than imprisonment. As we hear the story of one who stood for his faith, Polycarp, and how he stood, think about what this looks like for your life today. To be true to who you're called to, true to who you're wired to be, and true to who God is. Is it someone speaking slanderously of you, being ridiculed, blocking uh, your way from things you wish you could do? Do these cause you shame? Certainly there are people all around the world who die as martyrs. There's discrimination on the basis of faith as well as race and gender and sexuality. North Americans cannot ignore the victims of hatred both here and around the world. I also encourage us at the same time to ask ourselves the question of what does suffering for the gospel look like in your life today? What, what form does this take in your own story? There are people who've been evacuated this past week as well as the weeks prior, especially close by to us with the El Dorado fire, but then working our way up the coast in Oregon and Washington, people that I know and love have been evacuated from their homes, and I'm sure that's the case for you too. Some already have shared that they found out that they lost everything and others are so grateful that their home was spared. Several of them have reflected on those moments when they were given a few minutes to pack up. Some of course had longer, but some the fire was moving rapidly and they had to make the choice and they were, they were left with this question of what do you pull together? What do you save? when you only have a few minutes to decide. They said, it's, it's amazing what you decide to take and what you no longer care about. Because in times of, of stress and tension, when in times of crisis, uh, we zero in and clarify. We come back to what we know matters most. Only those things that matter get taken in those moments. As we're in this crisis right now, you're invited to pull together that which matters most. It's a, it's a tremendous time for us. It's a tremendous opportunity for the church to refocus on what matters. Who is God and who are you? Maybe you've been coasting. It's not a bad life. It's just you've been coasting and unaware. This opportunity of crisis, don't waste it. God's calling you back to pull together to what matters most. 
just like the lived example of those who've been evacuated when we're in crisis, we decide what to take and what to hold close. And I believe Polycarp and the other martyrs and Paul himself, as he spoke of his suffering, hold in close what mattered most. Notice how many times Paul talks about the grace of Jesus Christ and the good news and this calling, the saving and this calling that is on his life. He pulled close what mattered most. Take time to pull together now what matters most. Who is God and who are you? You are saved and you are called. As a mentor of mine used to say, it's both. You are loved and favored and you bear the cross of Jesus, the cross that Jesus led you to bear, which means that there will be splinters. It's uncomfortable and painful. I don't know what your place of suffering is. I don't know what's uncomfortable or painful for you. But what I do know is you are loved and favored. And as you bear this cross, as you walk this path, there will be suffering. We can focus back in, zero in on who God is and who you are. For some, it's embarrassment. For some of this suffering is ridicule. For some it's giving your life. For some it's following your calling and what you're wired to do even when you feel pressure towards something else. For some it's gonna mean some radical shifts and changes. Today you might feel discouraged. You might feel like giving up. Hear the final words in the section that we read today as Paul speaks to Timothy, but he also speaks to us. Hear these final words as we close out our time together today. He says, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. There's something in you that's been entrusted to you and we desperately need it. This world desperately needs the good deposit that God has put in you. We needed what Polycarp of Smyrna had received from God and the grace of God that was evidenced in his life and in his story, and I'm inspired by him. And we needed the good deposit that was entrusted in Paul and in Timothy, and we just as much need what has been entrusted to you. So notice what he says, that you have the help of the Holy Spirit to guard this. You don't do this alone. The Holy Spirit lives in you and the Holy Spirit will help you to guard what has been entrusted to you. So when you feel like you might want to give up or throw in the towel, just pray and cry out to help because God will guard what has been put in you. You are saved. You are called. Let's pull together in this new reality, in this space that we're in, in this crisis to come back to who our God is and deeper into who we are.